My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. After nearly 60 years, the JFK assassination still looms in America's anxious ambiance. The Warren Commission report left the country with doubts, confusion, and a colossal gap between the now distrusting public and the federal government. A gap that was swiftly filled with paranoia, denial, and a deluge of conspiracy theories ranging from rational to ridiculous. And where most people blame mobsters, the CIA, or communists, today's guests defy all expectations with their new film, JFK X, Solving the Crime of the Century, which proposes a radically different theory of what went down in Dealey Plaza on November 22, 1963. After enhancing the adulterated Zapruder film, an incredible picture is revealed that you won't see coming. Writer, director, author, and authority in the hermetic and alchemical tradition, former director of Gaia and host of the podcast Reality Check, Jay Widener, joins us alongside returning guest and host of the Raised by Giants podcast, Ryder Lee, who joins me, Mystic Mark, to discuss their credible film, which words cannot do justice. You really must see it for yourself. And in the supporters section of the show, we spoil the film a bit, so watch the film and then sign up to support the show to hear me ask further questions and hear guests Jay Widener and Ryder Lee share their thoughts on the possible truth behind the JFK assassination. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and enjoy this conversation with Jay Widener and Ryder Lee. The entire world was shocked when the President of the United States was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November 22nd, 1963. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Much of the world has wondered what really happened that day. Countless conspiracy theories have sprung up in an attempt to understand what really happened to President Kennedy. Was it the CIA, the mob, the lone assassin? Who exactly killed JFK? I didn't shoot anybody, no sir. There is Leon. Well, we'll never know the true facts, what occurred, my motives. JFKX, Solving the Crime of the Century, is an investigation into these events. The film answers the most basic questions about what really happened on that day. You will discover the truth behind one of the most traumatic events in world history. 
You will see the assassination of JFK with new eyes as the realization of the truth is revealed. JFK X, solving the crime of the century, will unveil the truth behind the events of November 22, 1963, like no film has ever done before. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And today, I am thrilled to have these two gentlemen on the show. We're going to be discussing their new film. With me is a returning champion and a new guest, someone who I've read. He's an author. He's a a staple in this conspiracy community. He's worked with Gaia for quite a while jay widener joins us on the show for the first time along with returning champion Ryder lee gentlemen welcome back to the show i'm so excited to have you both here it's really a privilege Ryder. thank you for putting me in touch here with jay but yeah what brings you both together for this project i'm excited to talk about it jfkx is the name of the film and it's perfect timing because as you both know we're heading up on uh, 60 years since this event, right? This November 22nd will be the 60th anniversary. So couldn't have think, couldn't have thought of a better time to put something like this out. But uh, Jay, Ryder, whoever wants to jump in first, let's talk about, a, you know, how this project came together. Well, I've discovered what we show in the film about 10 years ago when I saw for a brief period on the internet, on YouTube, somebody released Oliver Stone's high-resolution version of the Zabruder film. And it was only up for about two months, and it disappeared again. Probably they were violating a copyright. And But I watched it, and then it was a high-resolution, and I saw everything. And then later, Ryder and I were talking, and we wondered what would the Zabruder film look like if we ran it through that software that they use now to enhance old films like World War I films or make them look like they were shot yesterday in 4K and everybody's moving in the right way and because it's fixing frames and it's patching scratches and it's smoothing out the whole experience for a modern audience. And you can see what's going on, but much more clearly in the enhanced versions of these old films than you can in the film the original of it, of the film. So we asked ourselves, what would that look like? <clears throat> and the reason that we made it a film, what we're, what we're talking about, JFKX, a film and not a book or an essay or an interview or an article is because the main thing we're using is a film. It's the Zabruder film of the Kennedy assassination. So we're not going to make it, I'm not going to put out an essay with photos. I'm not going to put out a website. I'm going to put out a film because the film is the evidence. So that is the reason why you have to see JFKX on Amazon Prime and now on YouTube and different platforms, by the way, as of yesterday is that's the only way that you can understand what we're going to, what we're, we are trying to say. Because if I tell you here what is in the film, 
first, it'll spoil the film, and I don't want to do that. But secondly, <laughs> it won't be nearly as effective as just showing the film itself. Right. So that's the main reason I believe that we made the film. And yes, for the 60th anniversary and to clear up a lot of the misconceptions around the Kennedy assassination, not just by the government line, but by the conspiracy community, too. Right. And we're very critical of both in the film. Yeah, and I agree with you. It needs to be seen, to be understood fully. I myself can attest to the, you know, volumes and volumes of information about JFK. These are just three of many books in my library here dedicated to the subject. And it, it becomes maddening after a while sorting through it because so many people have added their opinion, their speculation into this event that really changed America. I mean, at one point in the film, you guys say, you know, there's a, a sense of despair that was felt in America. And I think that's alive still to this day. I mean, even the community that we're all sort of a part of here, this conspiracy theorist community, you know, that was a, a sort of a byproduct of this event. But Ryder, let me ask you, because last time we spoke, we were talking about your last project or the last focus of yours, obviously your podcast is raised by giants. You've been on the show twice before, but what brought this new venture up for you? Because, you know, these, this topic, it's now that I've seen the film, I can maybe understand why. But before you were talking about aliens and how this whole conception that we have of aliens is fraught with propaganda and disinformation and a lot of, you know, well, like JFK, a lot of crap. So I could see the, the connection, but, you know, how did this start for you, Ryder? Well, first off, thanks for having us on, Mark. Really appreciate you. And it's really important to just get this out of the gate quickly is that this film that me and Jay made, JFKX, isn't just a rehashing of old information, it's new information. And the JFK assassination has been so oversaturated with theories and speculations. Everyone has their own thoughts and opinions about what happened on November 22nd, 1963, right? And it's important when you, and when we take you through a lot of the different theories and a lot of the different ideas of what happened in this film the first 30 minutes is basically rehashing a lot of the older theories and older information we show you all the different forms of the zabruder film because like jay was saying the zabruder film the problem with the zabruder film is that there wasn't any good copies of it it was all jumbled up really bad quality version of the film so you couldn't see what's going on and in this film jfkx it's probably the highest quality version of the Zabruder film ever made. And whenever you analyze that, you can see if there's things that are different that you didn't see before. And that's really what the, the premise of it is about. And to your question about, you know, what, how I got into this, I think that it's important to really go back and analyze a lot of these theories and a lot of these um, conspiracies that are going on. I'm doing a whole show right now on UFO cults. And it's very interesting to see where a lot of where the, the inception of these ideas actually stem from. And when you see where they come from, you can point out the fallacies and everything that was going on at that time. 
And I think that's really important. And a lot of synchronicities happened between me and Jay uh, making these, this film. It was like just seamless effort. Everything just went uh, the way that it was supposed to. We pretty much finished. We finished. It's probably the quickest film that was ever been made from the time that we started working on until the time that it finished and it got up on Amazon Prime and all of these different streaming platforms was a very short amount of time. And yeah, I think that's, you know, really where we're at. We're going back to the original conspiracy theory, trying to see things that others might not have seen. And I think that we saw it and I think that we figured it out. And the thing that we opened the film up with is why hasn't the government released all of the JFK files, Hmm. right? Why are they holding those back? What is in those files is so important to national security. We show it in the beginning of the film that Trump wouldn't release the JFK files due to national security. So what's so important in there? We've all had the theories. Everyone's always talked about, oh, the CIA did it. There was a grassy knoll shooter. There was multiple shooters. Well, this is different. This is none of that. And if all it was in those JFK files was that the CIA was the one that did it, then that's not anything new. Why would anybody care about that? Everyone's already been talking about that the CIA has done it for almost 60 years now. Absolutely. And, And as somebody who just watched the film today, I mean, what you guys lay out there is just startling and i can attest to the fact that yeah it's not something that i've ever heard before this is something i've been looking at for a while but i'd like to start this conversation by maybe laying a foundation for people who maybe are younger than i or just not familiar with the kennedy family because you know given my research here in new haven looking into yale and skull and bones the Kennedy family actually came up in some of my research. I found that not not only are the Kennedys sort of potentially in this Welsh bloodline mix of people from European royalty, but Onassis and her family were connected to some very elite Italian families who go back to the Mona Lisa. They're, they either owned it or were connected to the you know people who inherited it i guess from the uh, artist right michelangelo so the you know these people they're not just like blue collar as much as kennedy won over a lot of the blue collar especially people here to this day on the east coast i mean i told my grandmother we'd be talking about kennedy and she's like oh i love kennedy so people love these families but I don't know that many people really understand the the background of the Kennedy family, even the Onassis family. So let's start there. Who is Joe Kennedy and and how did Jack Kennedy get to this place before the whole event happened? I I can tell you that going down the rabbit hole of the Kennedys in June and July of this year actually upset me. I, I came away, and I'm I'm pretty tough guy, but it upset me. You know, I, I like Robert Kennedy Jr. I, I support him. I, I hope he wins. I don't think he will. But Joe Kennedy gave his daughter, Rosemary Kennedy, a full frontal lobotomy at the age of 23. Aristotle Onassis referred to Jackie Onassis as the Black Widow. When Aristotle Onassis' son, Ari, began complaining about Jackie and that she was going to steal all of his dad's money when he died, he got in a mysterious plane crash about two weeks later. 
So over and over, I kept finding things that were just not very nice. And and yes, they come from full-blooded royal blood from Europe. The Kennedys come from Limerick, and they were like the kings. My family comes from Limerick also, and they worship the Kennedys going back generations. And Jackie, her, her maiden name is Bouvier. She's French-Italian royalty. When she went to visit the Pope, he kissed her hand. Yes. Only time that's ever happened. The Pope actually kissed her hand. Okay, so we're dealing with people who are extremely, have extremely extreme ties to Irish, Welsh, Scottish, not just ancestry, but what they believe in is kind of Arthurian idea of a divine king and his beautiful wife, and he sacrificed at the at the place of uh, of the triple underpass, um, right right by a Masonic lodge, right there. He's he's assassinated on November twenty second, which is the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius, but also in the moon cycle, it's the beginning of Ophiuchus. The the mysterious thirteenth sign is starts in, on November twenty first, twenty second, depending on how you're doing your calculations. And also, even the auspicious time of twelve thirty eight, which is supposedly when it all happened. And you know what we do in the film is we bring up all this stuff that nobody else has actually talked about. For instance, Oswald killed two people that day on November 22nd in Dallas. Nobody ever remembers the second guy. But he was actually arrested for shooting police officer J.D. Tippett. The interesting thing about this is that J.D. Tippett had a nickname on the Dallas police force, which was JFK, because he was a dead ringer for JFK. Same height, same hair, same build, same face. You know, slight different in the cheek, but other than that, he was a dead ringer, and he was about the same age or two. And we point out all the peculiarities of of that uh, particular murder and why it's been kind of, you know, put under the carpet. And we, and we talk about something else that nobody ever talks about, which is why in the Zabruder film does Kennedy get shot in the right side of his head, but in the autopsy photos, it's in the back of the head, and this side is not blemished at all. So there, that's a huge incongruity, which nobody in the conspiracy world seems to ever talk about. And we bring it out as a major feature in the film. And, you know, it's just, it's strange. Right. Because it clearly in the Zabruder film, he's not getting shot in the back of the head. He's clearly, it's ha- everything that's happening is happening right here. Right. And and another peculiar thing we can see in the, in the high quality version of the Zabruder film is that there's six people in the car. There is a driver, a Secret Service agent, Governor Connolly and his wife, Jackie and JFK. And at the, if you, freeze the frame right before the head explosion, you'll see that all four people in the front are all looking right at JFK. Every one of them, the driver has his head turned, the Secret Service guy is looking, Connolly is looking, his wife is looking, only Jackie is not looking. She's looking off to the side somewhere. And so all eyes are on him before he's shot, which is a very odd thing. And there's another thing I want to bring up, and I'll let the writer come in. We point out in the film how no one on the grassy knoll or in the park behind the limousine or even in the limousine itself reacts to a high-powered rifle going off. 
very strange incongruity. If you know any about guns, you know that Grassy Knoll is about 40 feet away from the limousine on Elm Street. And you go down there and you blow off a, a, a high-powered gun. It's going to cacophony through the buildings. It's going to echo. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be so deafening loud. The first shot, everybody's going to drop. Your tendency is just drop to the ground and get as close to the ground as possible. Your second shot goes off. You're looking up at where it's coming from. Right. Okay, so everybody's going to see the shooter, no matter what. Even in the sixth floor depository, you're going to see the guy because he's going to have to be out, and you're going to hear it. It's going to echo. Right. And so I discovered a piece of information after the film, and if we ever do a revision, I'm going to put this in because it's super important. About after a couple of weeks after we got the film out, I started asking myself, well, what made the Warren Commission determine that there were three shots fired at Dealey Plaza that day? And so I looked it up. I did a bunch of research. I found that there was a microphone left on one of the cycle policemen on motorcycle. And the Dallas police force recorded everything at the police force for the whole uh, uh, parade, including the, the so-called so assassination. And they concluded after listening to that audio recording that there were three shots. So I was like, okay, well, I want to hear that audio recording. So I searched and finally I found the audio recording and I listened and over and over, like 15 times, I didn't hear any shots. I heard horns, I heard people cheering, I heard all sorts of stuff, but I didn't hear any clear shots. And so I was like pondering, well, maybe I just have bad ears and I can't hear it. And then I did a deeper dive and I found that in 1980, the FBI had taken that same recording, did a full forensic on it and concluded that there were no shots on that recording. So I'm telling you, there were no shots fired at Dealey Plaza that day. Even Zabruder himself filming up the grassy knoll, that bullet was going by, whizzing by his ear at, you know, 800 miles an hour, cutting through the air. It's the scariest sound you'll a human ear will ever hear is a bullet, a high-powered bullet whizzing past your head. I've had it happen, believe me. It is terrifying. A two would be even more terrifying. He should have dropped to the ground, spoiled the shot, but he just keeps calmly filming, even though there's supposedly what, stuff flying all around him. Right. There right. is a uh, well, Google Earth image one, of a Dealey Plaza. One moment, Ryder. Let me just, yeah. because I did mention this, I'll mention this in my intro that I record afterwards. But, Jay, just for the audience, just remind them of your background, because you're not someone who looks at film with an amateur eye. You're not someone who sees a film set without having, you know, experience being on one yourself. So tell us a little bit about that, because I do think you have sort of a, you know, expert eye for this sort of thing. Well, I do. I, 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 you know, I worked in Hollywood for years, and I worked on many films and have thousands of hours of production in my background. I've done special effects, practical effects. I've fallen off buildings myself. I've that's why so, we got a sword back today. Apparently. But you and, would know what a prop gun would sound like. You'd know what a, a fake yeah. gunshot noise that they add in Absolutely. afterwards would There's sound a like, right? Between what a prop gun sounds like and what a real gun sounds like because of the air getting cut by the bullet. Right. So in 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 movies, you use a prop gun, and then later when you're doing sound, you're bringing in the ricochet sound, so that it makes it sound believable, right? Or you cover up the sound completely. Uh, and just use the prop gun for the uh, visual. Right. But so the, I, I, what I really love about movies, my favorite thing about movies, besides telling stories and all that, is physical effects. 
I love them. And it's the only thing I really like about Christopher Nolan's movies and Quentin Tarantino's movies is they both insist on using physical effects and digital very little. They don't like, and I hate digital. So I'm really made it like a science to understand how things operated in Hollywood for making my own films. And, and so there's everything is, is a nuance. It's, it's, a, it's a magic trick. That's what movies really are. And the best directors were formerly stage magicians. Orson Welles, Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, all spent their teens as, as stage magicians, right? Learning how to do tricks. And they're the best filmmakers. And that's what is going on in JFK's assassination. It's a movie trick. It's a trick. It's a trick that they use in movies. It, it was started in the 50s not very much was you know this effect was not used very much in the 50s and really didn't start start getting used until the late 60s when the boomer generation kind of took over hollywood and they were completely infatuated with revealing the world as the violence in the world that we were kind of dedicated. We wanted to show what real violence looked like. Right. That we'd gone to Vietnam. We saw people with their guts blown out and all of this. And we wanted, so Kennedy incorporated some of this into what happened on November 22nd, 1963. And you got to see the film to understand what I'm saying is I cannot explain it to you. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. And so also my background is I'm the guy that, you know, connected the moon landings as being faked by Stanley Kubrick and how they did it with front screen projection. And I never said they didn't go to the moon. I just said what we got shown was fake. And it is fake. And you can over and over, you can see the cubic horizontal on every image or video or film of the uh, moon landings. You can see that there's a set, there's a projection in the background, and uh, the astronauts are walking around on, on the set. And uh, it, it, so I do have a pedigree in, you know, discovering the trickery. Right. And there's other things I, I could tell you about better tricks, but I want to do it one at a time. Well, and, and let's go back. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you made that qualification because you are someone who has experience with this stuff and that should be made clear. I'm sure many people are familiar with your work with the land, moon landing hoax or the filming of it as a hoax. And Ryder, if you could bring that picture up again of yeah, the bird's eye view, because along with the absence of gunshots, right, or the sound... Uh, let me ask you this, though, as I'm saying that, does the Zapruder film have audio? Were they recording audio or is it purely film? No, they were. They don't. We didn't have. They didn't have amateur. In those days, you had to record the audio Separately. on a separate film and you use a clapboard to connect the two. Right. And so, so all the film was silent unless you had sound equipment with you. So right. he was shooting silent. So and. That's just one of many anomalies. And Ryder, I'll let you follow up here because right now we're looking at the grassy knoll from above and the alleged trajectory of the you know sniper rifle as it allegedly struck JFK. You are muted, brother. Okay, this show this is a Google Earth image that uh, shows the layout of uh, Dealey Plaza on Elm Street here, and 
the interesting part about this is that people think that the pergola here is way far away from Elm Street, but it's not. It's, it it's very close to Elm Street. And the conspiracy theorists say, I don't know if you can see my cursor, that the the shooter was behind the fence here that's behind the pergola. So here's the pergola. Here's the fence. And Zabruder is right here where this arrow is. Says Zabruder's position. So if the shooter was behind the fence that's behind the pergola, that means that he would be firing the shots right directly over Zabruder's head. Yep. To hit JFK. And what are the odds that the the only two people aiming at JFK that day, because as you guys pointed out, the mainstream media was not there for whatever reason. What are the odds that the only two people magically pointing their view at uh, (laughs) their viewfinder at JFK are the magic gunman and and Zapruder himself? That's it. That's incredible. So if this shot happened from the conspiracy theorists from behind the fence, behind the Percola, then people would be reacting. This is how many yards you, would you say this is away from Elm street? Uh, it's not very far. 15, 15, 20 yards. I so mean, if, if there's three loud gunshots going off, like the Warren commission states, there was three shots, one hit JFK and the neck, depending on who you talk to, the conspiracy theorists or the government theorists, it hits him in the front of the neck, hits him behind the neck, it hits him in the back. And then the second shot fires off and that shot misses and the third shot hits him in the right side and his head goes back into the left, right? They would be reacting to all these shots. There's not anyone that's reacting. And the first person that should be reacting is Abraham Zabruder there with his uh, camera filming the limousine. If the shots were happening, you know, 10, 15 feet away from him, he would be ducking. There would be shaking of the camera. He would not be able to keep that limousine in the center of the frame like he does. Well, and and let's talk about Abraham Zapruder for a moment here because you know, he is somebody who and I wish I had brushed up on this, but I did hear a very interesting podcast a couple of years ago that went into some very sketchy details about Zapruder's life. And yeah. like Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, Zapruder is someone who was from Russia, although Harvey Oswald wasn't from Russia. He spent time in Russia. I just find that kind of interesting that he was, you know, born in the Ukraine, which was then a part of Russia. So how does Zapruder fit into this? Who is this guy and why is he the, like the only person filming that day? Well, that's that we asked that question because there's an NBC outlet, a CBS and ABC outlet in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963 with full news teams with film processing labs in their uh, newsrooms. So they can take a film and, and, and you know, that they just shot, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, right? You get it up on, you know, the, the whatever uh, accident or terrible thing you're covering and you get it up on the nightly news, right? So the president and a beautiful wife are coming. You're certainly going to send a guy down with the camera to get it. And they didn't, although we prove that they did. We show a picture of a guy with a camera who's clearly a reporter, and he's not shooting the uh, assassination. He's shooting the bystanders who don't know what's going on. Also, in the Zapruder film, none of the bystanders in the park behind the limousine react to any shots going off. Nobody falls. Even though the, gun, the bullets are coming right at him, if we believe what we're hearing, but they, have, they show no reaction. Um, <clears throat> and also, we point out how... In Fort Worth and at the Dallas airport, there's literally it's Beatles like mania 
with the Kennedys. We have film, we show them arriving, and there's thousands of people cheering. And then when they get to Dealey Plaza, which is the height of this whole thing, there's really, if you count in the Zabruder film, there's probably maybe 130 people total at lunchtime on a beautiful sunny Friday day uh, afternoon. Um, and the president and his wife are rocking by, and there's really not very many people. And the way they're lined up is suspicious, too, because they're lined up where in movies, if you want to make it look crowded, what you do is you line people up shoulder to shoulder, but you don't have anybody behind them. And that's what they do. If you look at those Zabruder film, everybody's lined up shoulder to shoulder, and, and there's just not very many people there. But when we get to the infamous splice, which we're the only conspiracy people that talk about that splice, um, when we get to the infamous splice, almost everybody disappears at that point. There's maybe 10 people behind them in the park. And I think that's actually an exaggeration. So the whole thing, in retrospect, seems very staged, and and it is staged, and that's what right. we're saying. Well, and Zapruder says here on his Wikipedia page oh, that— yeah, he was a 33-degree Freemason. Right, and this all happened in Dealey Plaza, which has you know Freemasons owning, I'm sure, most of the property in that area. But another thing that I noticed when you showed us that picture— is that the street that this all took place on is called Elm Street. And where I live, New Haven, is the Elm City. Skull and Bones of Yale University is from the Elm City. So that was just a little minor synchronicity there that caught my eye. But, you know, Henry Luce, founder of Time Magazine, was Skull and Bones. And Time Magazine just happens to get this Subruder film. So it seems like there's a, a hidden network going on where Zapruder... You know, he finds himself on late night television. He's being interviewed and obviously uh, maybe he wanted the money or he was connected, but he gives this film over to Time Magazine. How did that happen? Well, I dropped in, I believe, $50,000 on the spot. He just took it. But I'm sure it was all pre prearranged, just like you're saying. Right. And yeah, Zabruder was a 33rd Freemason. He happened to be just in the right place so that the car would pass behind the Stemmons freeway sign because something had to happen when the car passed behind the Stemmons freeway sign. I believe that's when he was supposed to apply the device, but he was late. He came out the other side. He was a little bit late doing it. And I think, think that's what was supposed to happen there. And he, you know, Zabruder was a, a a Russian, a member of the Russian community in Dallas, which was a huge community at the time. And guess who else was a member of the Russian community in Dallas at the time? Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, my God. And guess who else was from Russia? Jack Ruby. Oh, no. And and Oswald's uh, handler was George DeMorenshelt. Who is George DeMorenshelt? A white Russian, all far right-wing Russians, not left-wing at all. Not like Oswald's painted as a left-wing when he's hanging out with far right-wingers. And, and, and this thing is set up. If you know the Kennedy assassins, you know that Oswald supposedly shot at a general. About two months before the assassination, he took a pot shot at some general. Like, why did he do that for? And the answer is, well, he's setting him up. We're setting him up as the assassin. Also, there were two films that came out before the Kennedy assassination, one starring Frank Sinatra, in which he's got a gun, a high-powered rifle, and he's going to kill the president. Frank Sinatra is one of Kennedy's best friends and surely knows the where's about and what you do in Hollywood. So I would look at Frank Sinatra as being a, a great helper. And also, 
writer who did some great research in the movie on the Kennedys going after organized crime. And, you know, that's just like a, you know, a story that no one knows about. The Kennedys really went after the mob in the biggest way that anyone has ever done. And, uh, and I think that plays a major part in what happened that day. Right. Yeah, and even, you know, their father was uh, somebody who was involved with the mob and I think stepped down and, and gravitated away from it. And that, you know, that's yeah. something that famously or infamously, you know, they say you can't do without, you know, getting cement shoes or, you know, going off and changing your name and having FBI protection. But uh, yeah, it's very suspicious, especially the way you just laid it out with Zapruder, DeMorenshell, and Oswald. And one of the books I have here that really set me, you know, in a different direction a few years ago with the whole JFK situation is David Ferry by Judith Barry Baker. And you guys both may be familiar with this book, but they make the case that Oswald was sort of patriotic at first or at the onset and wanted to go to Russia so he could be a spy and get involved with this patriotic cause that he perceived. And he was a sort of a Louisiana kind of redneck dude and ended up potentially as his famous last words, a patsy, right? And, you know, that whole situation is very sketchy, especially with Jack Ruby coming in and silencing him before he can even get uh, a fair hearing and you guys lay that out I mean brilliantly in the film so we don't really need to go too much into what you guys lay out in the film but what I didn't know that you brought up in the film was that Jack Ruby passed away in prison from cancer and the reason I bring this up is because in this book they talk about how Mary Judith Baker was involved with this cancer research and how they were potentially using this in a weaponized format so it does seem like all of these loose ends, when you understand the bigger picture, kind of fold in and connect. And I guess, you know, I, I kind of just laid it out there. But what are your thoughts on all of that? And then Ruby dying in cancer. I mean, it seems like anyone who knew anything about this situation mysteriously passed away very quickly. I think Ruby well, got a visit from uh, old Gottlieb. Yep. Sydney Godley, wow. he got a visit from the uh, head of the MK Ultra program, Sydney Godley, because during the end, he was basically just going out of his mind. He was talking about fairies and goblins made him do it. And that comes from being dosed with some sort of hallucinogenic. And that's what was going on in the MK Ultra programs. But really quickly, I want to show you the uh, splice in the Zabruder film because this is uh, really important here. Uh, there's a splice. That, uh, frame 207 so boom 207 right jumps there. to 212 i'll play it There's again four one frames time. missing goes from 207 to 212 one more time right there yep so that's what we really focus on in this film and as a filmmaker jay being a filmmaker you know and you know this being my first feature film. I do a lot of editing for my show. And I did, a, of course, a lot of editing for this documentary that we put together. And you know, as a filmmaker and anybody that's listening that has ever done any work with editing and worked with any kind of programs, you know what it means when there's a splice in a film, right? When there's any kind of cuts in a film, that means that anything can be placed after that cut or after that splice. So why is there a splice in the Zabruder film, 
Exactly. What are they trying to hide? Exactly what it goes behind the freeways. What a coincidence that is. Right. You know? And so four frames are missing. So Time Life acquired the film. Apparently, they're the ones that that caused the damage somehow. And then when the Warren Commission requested to see the Bruder film, Time Life sent it to him without telling him there was a splice in it, without telling them that four frames were missing. That's like a, a destruction of evidence. This is like a, a, a felony, a high crime felony. You're, you are changing evidence of the film, of the assassination of the president of the United States, and you're not telling anyone. They didn't cop to it until 1968 or 67, four years afterwards. and But still, even when they copped it, who did it? What's the name of the technician? How did it happen? What did you do? What happened to the four frames? You know, all these questions just fade away into history because, like you said, Luce was part of the whole operation. Yeah, yeah, very sketchy to see all of these skull and bones men in the picture. I mean, Dallas itself is, you know, suspicious place, oil, you know, the mob, all of these things, again, fold into themselves. And yeah, it's a corrupt picture we're we're placing here. But I want to go back to Tibbet, J.D. Tibbet, because he comes into the picture almost... In the same way, if I can say, like Lee Harvey Oswald, to play this role, and he dies, he's shot. But what were the circumstances before he died? Because it seems like after the situation at Dealey Plaza, there was a great deal of panic, and people were trying to look all over for this alleged gunman, right? And the whole conspiracy cliche is, oh, JFK's assassin, you know, he shot him in a, a library and ran into a theater and Lincoln's assassin shot him in a theater and ran into a library or whatever, right? And it just feels like one of those things that's just too good to be true. And even, you know, a la James Shelby Downer, it has a ritual feel to it, like history repeating itself or rhyming, right? And it, you know, it seems like when they set these kind of things up, they try to add those little uh, rhymes in there. But what were the circumstances with Tibbet? Because he seems to reveal a lot about this whole situation and, and isn't really talked about ever. This is my first time hearing about it through your film. Yeah, Tibbet was, you know, the, like to say, the lookalike for JFK. And we're postulating that he was he was last seen around noon on 22nd, supposedly had a sandwich at his house uh, with his wife and then left. So sometime right after that, they had to have done the action, probably had some prearranged thing that he innocently fell into. And then the Kennedy car had to have picked up that body at that point. And then at 12.05 or so, they entered Dealey Plaza, a little maybe 1236. The car enters Dealey Plaza for the final parade of the day. And so a tippet is, you know, kind of the left out guy in this whole thing. But, he, you know, he... He was shot, you know, twice, you know, in the head and in the neck, right? Just like Kennedy. And at his autopsy, they did not take photographs. They used sketches. Same with Oswald, by the way. 
only autopsies I've been able to find since they started using photography, which is in the 30s, that that were their sketches, not photographs. So it's, so that's a very telling thing. They also, another thing that we point out in the movie is that Kennedy's body was exhumed secretly in 1967, and no one talks about that. You have to really ask yourself, why the hell did they pull Kennedy's body out of the grave at Arlington Cemetery and move it just, you know, 10 feet to the right? Why would they do that? And, and why would they do it in secret? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they did it. But I think it bears, you know, us telling you that because it's really important. I think that it's interesting about this Tibbet stuff because there was an FBI informant that talked about almost identically what they were going to do if they assassinated or were to assassinate JFK, right? They were talking about how they would take the gun up to the sixth floor book depository. They wouldn't have to take it up all in one piece. They could break it down, take it up there in pieces. And then you have Oswald seeing having the thing that looks like uh, hangers or uh, curtain rods curtain, or whatever going up there and all that. And then, but the main thing about that FBI informant tape, which we show in the film, uh, you can listen to it in the film is that the FBI informant says that someone will be picked up within hours after the president has been shot just to cover public opinion. And that's exactly what they did. They picked up Oswald. He was never charged for the uh, murder of JFK or assassinating JFK. He was charged with the murder of J.D. Tippett, which people completely uh, don't realize what happened because he was shot and killed by Ruby like very quickly afterwards. You know, the public just threw those charges on him. And we showed in the film that he's in that press conference and the people are yelling, did you kill the president? Did you kill JFK? And he's adamant. He's like, no, I did not uh, kill JFK. He didn't even, I don't even think that he even knew that the president had even been shot. And he says in one point, you guys have this clip. He says, they're bringing me in because they think I'm a communist. Like he says something to that effect, which I thought was interesting because yeah, he's not even really... It seems Attorney. filled in on the plot, right? I mean, how could you fill the pla- the Patsy in on the plot, right? Uh, he probably wasn't in on the plot at the original. Yeah, he got led into it. And then he realized what was going on eventually. And they, well, whatever happened to Oswald, we really don't know. Um, so, yeah. But the but what happens is that they then staged the shooting of J.D. Tippett to occur after the Kennedy assassination, which is why the two main witnesses got everything completely wrong. I mean, they don't identify it. They got Oswald either has black hair or light hair, a dark jacket, a white jacket, and and one's tall, one's not tall. And so, you know, and so the, these discrepancies made me think that there must be something more here. And that made me dive down deeper into J.D. Tippett, where I discovered that he was called JFK, and he had the same look. And I thought to myself, what an amazing coincidence. Oswald shoots two people on one day. He's never killed anybody before in his life. And they both look exactly like each other. And that is a incredible coincidence, if you believe in coincidence. Which I don't. And also the news bulletin that came out that described the Carcano rifle before the rifle was even discovered. Yep. Mm, right. <laughs> How did right. they know that it was a Carcano rifle? Exactly. And they described Oswald in it. 
pretty much well, you know five foot nine you know i was like wait a minute here i got the, the description of the guy they got the rifle you know how the hell they do that since we're still an hour and a half away from finding the rifle which by the way when they found the rifle in the box on the six foot floor of the book depository they did a, a fingerprint a thing of the box and they found one fingerprint and the fingerprint was of i'm gonna forget his name bar his, his last name was bar and he was uh lbj's top assistant in fact a lot of people think he was lbj's hitman you might say so I, we didn't have that one in there but that is a fact that that the only fingerprint was with and so LBJ is controlling everything, right? So he's he he controls Texas. He's well known that he controlled everything in Texas. So he that's why it happened in Texas. So LBJ is controlling everything in Texas before the event, and then he makes sure that he gets the oath while he's still on the ground in Texas, so that when he lands in D.C., he's now in control of D.C. Right of all the machinations, the FBI, the Secret Service are all under him, and so. You know, and Johnson is the chief beneficiary of everything that goes on here, and and people have to understand that. So you know, also Oswald had pieces fit together in the film is what I'm trying to say. Right, and also Oswald had paraffin test given on him that proves that he didn't fire a rifle that day that we have in the film. Right, and let's explain that for people who might not be, you know, CSI detectives. What exactly is a paraffin test? Because I learned about this in the film as well. Yeah, so they they take candle candles are paraffin. They take a little bit of, of it and they put it on you, and then they uh, take it off. And anything that's on you sticks to the paraffin. Then they stick it under a microscope and they examine it. And uh, gunpowder has a very sig- easy signature to see. And because it's saltpeter and gun uh, charcoal and you can tell a uh, sulfur. And and so they rubbed it on his arm here, on, here and on his cheek. This would be the proof that it'd be a rifle. Right. No gunpowder on his cheek or no, at all. Right. And to, to Ruling be... out that he fired a gun that day, a rifle that day. There was gunpowder here and here, but we're not sure if it was gunpowder because the same substance is similar when we were working with old books. And that's what he was doing all day. So he could have gotten you know that from working with lifting books and stuff all day. Right. He could have gotten the same kind of substance. So it's there's actually no proof that he fired a gun at all that day. None. Right. And, well, and to be clear for people who might not be familiar with guns, when you shoot a gun, especially a gun from that era, gunpowder explodes. And it's, you know, not something you can see, but it's on a microscopic level. It explodes everywhere in the 360 degree radius from the gun barrel. So anything, you know, anybody near that gun is going to have some, you know, gunpowder. You're going to have a lot. Right. If you fire three shots, you're going to be covered with it. Well, and that's another thing that doesn't hold up because, you know, the the claim is that he shot a bolt-action rifle three times in less than six seconds, which, again, for folks who aren't familiar with guns, this is something that not even John Wayne could do. (laughs) And your first shot's going to be your most accurate, Right. But he, but the third shot is the most accurate. So it's like, wait a minute here. That's that. It should be declining, right? right. Declining re- return on your investment there, but it's not. It's getting better. He, he should have been a Wall Street investor. Well, but no, it's it, the whole thing is is actually pretty silly. And and people really need to see what you guys have done. It's fantastic. It can't. We can't. 
you know, deliver this message through an audio medium like this one. But when it comes to the Zapruder film itself, it's very interesting. When I was a kid, you know, 28 years old now, so I was part of a sort of computer internet generation. I remember there was a game online where the Zapruder film was used and you were the, you know, gunman. And I was shocked, like, who would put this, you know, game out there? But that was actually how I first saw the Zapruder film. And that kind of stuck with me. But another thing that I saw once was a f some footage that somebody had put on YouTube where they showed the passenger in the driver's part of the car, the front seat passenger, turning towards JFK right before his head, you see his head explode, right? And, you know, when it comes to the theories, some people said, oh, he shot a laser out of his forehead. Oh, he shot a gun, you know, at him. Like, wh what do you guys think of that? Because when I saw that, not the that theory, but the because when I saw that it looked like a different angle on the car, is it possible that there was like parts of the Zapruder film that were, as you said, the frames were taken out, but could they have manipulated the perspective of the Zapruder film or maybe there was another person filming that day, but it did appear, I could just be remembering this wrong, but it appeared to me like uh, it was a different angle. You're not remembering it wrong. You know, Bill Cooper is a guy that came up with the driver who did it. I, I, he was a friend of mine. I always vehemently argued against it because I knew that when I was watching copies of copies because there was no good quality. And yes, the driver does turn around, but you can see his right hand is on the wheel. But also you've got a real problem. If you know you can figure Kennedy's to the right and drivers to the left, how does the driver shoot him on the right side of the head unless the bullet does some kind of U-turn, so that can't happen. So no, there, there, there was a good theory with crappy who's a Bruder film which is one of the reasons I wanted to make sure that we had the highest quality so that all the questions could finally be answered. And uh, I think they are answered. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that this is a, a healing film because I think that we can finally get over all of this stuff now and get moving on with things that are more important and not rehashing something that happened 60 years ago that may not be anything like we think really happened. Yeah. Yeah, and didn't didn't Bill Cooper also say that JFK was assassinated because he because of the aliens at Roswell or whatever that he had sex with an alien or some something like that? Yeah, some yeah. Wild theory. Yeah. So what happened to Bill Cooper? Just a quick aside, because I know the whole story. He told me several times over about six bottles of whiskey that he would drink all day that he was shown in the Navy. He was like a low-level guy, and he saw a UFO come out of the water while he's on watch uh, on a boat. And so he went and reported it, and then he was taken by ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence, and shown all of these pictures of aliens and UFOs and flying saucers, like hundreds of them. And they're like, oh, these really exist, Bill. These really are here. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, yeah, Bill. And Bill just bought it, hook, line, and sinker, and ran out and told everybody that the I'm sure it was the Navy that told him that aliens had sex with JFK. And he <laughs> not a naval intelligence, you know? So, so Bill Cooper was a, the sad victim of a mind control operation. And I could never get him to admit it, but he was. Well, Which it, was interesting, though, too, because at the end, if I'm not mistaken, you can confirm or deny this, Jay, he started backing away from the community. He started backing away from the UFO community and saying that it's not extraterrestrials and not aliens, yeah. and then he was yeah. shot and killed. 
for yeah, the four shot kill. I, I was the last person to talk to Bill Cooper. He was reading from my first book, uh, Monument, Monument to the End of Time, on his radio show. Somebody told me, so I, I wrote him an email, and we I called him up, and we were talking, and he said, yeah, I'm going to be reading the whole book. I thanked him and everything, and got out, oh, and he complained about, so Mexicans in the uh, nearby playing loud rap music, and he, I could tell he had been drinking. And um, so, he, you know, I hung up the phone, and then about two hours later, I got an email from a friend of mine, hey, Bill Cooper just got killed by the arizona police and they were posed as uh, mexicans the police were and they were playing loud rap music on purpose because they knew he hated it and that he would be king in the daytime and they would play the loud rap music and he would come out with his gun which is what he foolishly did and they killed him wow wow yeah that's incredible i had no idea about any of that i have bill's book and and it kind of fits into what you're saying, what I was thinking, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse was the title of his book. And it just kind of fits into what Ryder and I spoke about, what, the first time you came on the show and maybe even the second time as well. But it's all part of this millenarianistic religion that I think is something to do with, you know, skull and bones they have some sort of affinity for this because it's all over what i've found with skull and bones this millenarianism and here's bill cooper as you said just sort of regurgitating propaganda that what does it do and Ryder, you said you're researching ufo cults what did those people do i mean i don't know much about the ones existing now but the ones i've heard about seem to have all drank the kool-aid the fatal kind and you know maybe they departed on a spaceship maybe not we'll never know but it, it just it fits right in the line with this whole you know depopulation campaign that's what it seems all to root down to and I wonder, you know, when it comes to, you know, JFK, he was lionized. He was sort of, you know, made this, as you put it, like Beatlemania president. He was the first Catholic president. He won all these young people over who probably didn't care much about politics before. And, yeah. and then, you know, a la James Shelby Downard, a killing of the king ritual takes place and yeah. i think your yeah. film adds a whole another dimension to that theory that james shelby downard put forward what do you guys think of his whole uh role in all this because like bill cooper there's a lot of theories about james shelby downard and how he might have been you know turned into some sort of propaganda piece or mind controlled to some extent he was i knew i knew his publisher adam parfrey and Adam told me long, he had long, long conversations with Shelby and told me that Shelby had definitely been, to, he was definitely Masonic and he definitely had been taken in by very similar to Bill Cooper, taken in by some kind of a, intelligence agency and shown a whole bunch of stuff. And it's an experiment, right? That's what you do. You Now let's watch the guy and see what he does, right? So Bill Cooper, that's why I said to Bill Cooper all the way to the end. You're just an experiment, dude. You want to find out what your mind's going to do when you're showing all this disparate information. And in the end, you know, he went completely crazy. And so did Shelby Downard. And so, you know, you're, you got to be careful going down these paths because but Shelby Downard's uh, description of the Kennedy ritual is Exactly right. 33rd degree latitude, triple underpass. 
he, of course, thought it was real, but he's a trilateral rifleman, you know, three in three different places, which he would do, actually. He wouldn't put him in two. He'd put him in three. Uh, so he's right a lot about all that. But also, you know, he brings up that Kennedy was called Camelot, his administration, and that he was King Arthur and Jackie was Guinevere. And the whole ritual is this Arthurian Masonic ritual designed to designed to cause a lot of trauma which is what it's about yeah well and and that's why i feel some relief in your previous statement you just made about this film being healing in that way and yeah i agree but on the note of kind of dispelling fear paranoia what are some of the you know threads that don't lead anywhere when it comes to JFK. One thing that I wanted to ask you guys about, and I saw this in your film, I don't know that you talked about it, but there's the woman in red, and she's very clearly like there when you're watching Kennedy and Onassis drive in the motorcade. She's like standing there, and she looks kind of weird, and stands out against this bright green, almost looks like a golf green, and behind them this you know, park, whatever. But it looks like very odd, the color scheme there. And you talk about color with the Zapruder film, but is there anything with this woman in red that you guys found that's worth mentioning? Is she Does she have anything to do with anything? Yeah, I think that she's the Isis. So in the, in the, in the rituals of Freemasonry, your goddess is Isis. And she's uh, ever-present. And they always, uh, even uh, Freemasonic covens will make a very beautiful woman their Isis and probably have sex with her, probably. And anyway, I think that's what she is. I've wondered about that for many years, what she represented. So I think that she represents the the Red Queen, You would I would call her, the Blood Queen, that this is a blood ritual you're about to see and the killing of the king and all that. And it's, it's, she's an important part of the Freemasonic rituals. She really is. It reminds me of the first Matrix movie. Yeah. The woman in red when yeah. Neo's walking through and Morpheus is like, where where you just, you know, it, the, the woman in red is a distraction. That's right. That's exactly right. She's a distraction. Wow. And she's the stage magician's beautiful assistant. Right. Wow. Wow. Now, in this ritual setting would Sapruder be the stage magician holding the camera i did hear you mention on charlie robinson's podcast that there was a a mobster liar meyer lansky although liar mansky works too meyer lansky who had what a crowd of mobsters in front of him and he had a tommy gun and he had a, a bolex camera and he said you know which cheer for which one he thinks more powerful and they all cheered for the tommy gun of course and he said no you're wrong what do you think of that i mean it it does seem like film is your specialty and it's certainly weaving into all this magic that america's been you know spell casted into that's exactly right and movies are this the most incredible art form ever created by humans i believe and because it's a combination of all the art forms, music and theater and novels and, and all that, and the powers that be latched onto it immediately. So D.W. Griff movies were actually created by three people, Mary Fairbanks, Charlie Chaplin, and D.W. Griffith. They're the three people that actually invented what we would call a modern movie. D.W. Griffith invented the close-up, the moving camera, film lighting. He's actually the father of cinema. 
to in view. Charlie Chaplin taught us how to tell stories, and uh, Fairbanks was just not. Uh, I'm getting her name wrong. Uh, Mary Pickford. I'm sorry. Mary Pickford showed how to act in film. She was her first really good actress. And so these people all, and so the powers of D then came to Hollywood where these people were working because it was sunny all the time. And they came from New York and there's the mobsters and they took over and they took over the whole thing and they turned it into their instrument of propaganda. It took a long time for this to happen. You can see the propaganda leaking in, but especially after World War II, movies became their way of propaganda. And so you, and and this is going on even to this day, Oppenheimer, and even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I believe started out as a propaganda film, but uh, Tarantino deliciously turned the tables on the people that ordered him to make that movie uh, in a brilliant way. And I'm going to do a whole essay on that because it's one of the most brilliant things that's ever been done in cinema history. But, you know, Nolan was able to stay away from it, but now he's now in the propaganda world of making uh, films that uh, support what the cabal wants. Right. So uh, movies have always been this very powerful instrument, and the cabal has always been in control of it. And for brief moments, we wrest control from the cabal, like in the 70s for a few years. The cabal didn't know how to make a movie, so we came in and just started using the equipment to make all of a, a lot of really good films. But then the cabal came in the late 70s and took back over, and they've been in control ever since. But I think that is falling apart now because streaming is destroying the movie business. Right. And they foolishly went with, you know, BlackRock and and uh, State Street and all these stupid investment companies and stopped funding each film treating the whole film business as one big investment. And so now Disney's failing and Netflix is failing. And I'm sure they're all failing. Even HBO and Amazon. I know Guy is failing. It, it can't be sustained. And they're finding it out. It can't be sustained. Person just joins a, a Disney. They, they watch everything over two month period and they cancel their, their subscription. So that how are you going to make money if you don't keep them there every month? And you can't. So the whole thing's dying away, and it's kind of interesting because that means that the cabal's main instrument of propaganda is now starting to die away. So it's going to be very interesting what they do next. Yeah, yeah, wow, incredible. And, you know, it, it goes to show the you know domino fall that's now essentially corrupting, you know, what was initially a, a, a corruption. You know, it's like this law of diminishing returns. You know, they can only get away with this stuff for so long. But for people who might be sitting there scratching their head saying, oh, how does the mob get involved with movies? I learned something when talking to some friends who are very interested in researching comic books and things like that, that the mob was a big part of Pulp Fiction and how, you know, these funnies or comics strips got all over the place and they would use the same tactics spreading propaganda and probably you know doing other insidious things both marvel and dc were started by mob money right stanley got mob money to start it. he had mob ties Stanley Kubrick had mob ties. Right. I mean, you can't you actually you can't get in there without mob ties. I hate to say it, but I mean, that's how you get in. You know? Yeah, if you want to look at and see the propaganda within movies, just research Loyal Canyon, right? Yep. And that's what, in California, and that's what our second movie is going to revolve around, too. Loyal Canyon? Doing, uh, yeah, the whole Loyal trilogy. Canyon. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow, Little yeah. Little Canyon that... is a idyllic canyon in between the San Fernando Valley and L.A. Right. And it's where all the elites live. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. I lived there. I spent a year there once. And all of the rock stars from the 60s from America and all the movie stars came from Laurel Canyon. And Laurel Canyon had a, a secret movie studio run by the Air Force. Um, at the top of the canyon, where they made more films than all of Hollywood combined, even though we don't know what those movies were. Right. And all of those rock stars were part of a gigantic MK Ultra program to spread propaganda to basically my generation and take it over. And when we worshipped these gods that were completely manufactured, they probably didn't write their own music. They certainly didn't play their own music. We know that because the people that did play the music have already come forth and said, hey, I played down that. That was me, right? So the whole thing was just this one big manufactured thing. It was like the moon landings and the JFK and uh, all the rest. It's just one big, long movie. Yeah, no, Laurel Canyon is a fascinating, you know, nexus point for all this. I've read Dave McGowan's book and very familiar with that. Dave McGowan himself had a strange sort of life and researched a lot of this stuff dealing with communism and fascism, and it all led to (laughs) Laurel Canyon in some ways, too. And, yeah, the connections are all over the place. Dave was a good friend of mine. He died very young. Right. I really missed him. We used to have long conversations and compare notes. And he's actually, our next film that a writer and I are doing is going to feature a lot of stuff that was in the conversations that David, Dave McGowan and I had about Stanley Kubrick's possible connections to that movie studio and the uh, underground tunnels are all under Laurel Canyon. And it's going to be a fascinating film, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jay sent me an article a while back that was, I think it was a newspaper article, right? That was talking about reptilian reptilians underneath the, the tunnels. 1934, and, Los Angeles Times. Wild article. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whole write up of. And- reptilian extraterrestrials living well i don't think they say extraterrestrials but reptilian beings living in the tunnels in laurel canyon under laurel canyon yep wow that's right i know a a native american a friend of mine who's out who's from arizona he lives out here in new haven now but he told me a story of a peyote ceremony that he had to go through as a rite of passage where there was a female reptilian humanoid woman somewhere underneath the ground where they set up their peyote tent and they would travel. And this wasn't just something he experienced. It wasn't some random hallucination. His father, his grandfather, and so on all met with this being in this rite of passage. And he told me this, like, I wasn't even asking about reptilians. I was, I think I was 19 when me and him had this conversation 10 years ago now. And yeah, that really, you know, blew me away. But you know, just another anecdote of these reptilian beings underground. Seems like they've been there for quite a while. But that doesn't uh, make them extraterrestrial, okay? That makes right, them terrestrial. But, They're from here. Right, right. right. That's the mistake that everyone gets in, uh, involved in there. But I want to show you the autopsy photos really quick. Yeah, uh, unless JFK. Well, let, if you have anything else, yeah. No, yeah, let's get back to JFK because there were a few more questions. One thing I wanted to point out is the closed casket. Obviously, 
you know, according to the official story with a head wound, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to show everybody that. But it is suspicious, the details that you guys brought forth in this film, especially when it comes to the body parts that were allegedly missing from JFK sometime after. But yeah, please show this and maybe you guys can talk, speak yeah. about what I just mentioned. So here are the autopsy photos. And if you think about the Zabruder film, right, just play the Zabruder film in your head. It's going down Elm Street through Dealey Plaza and JFK gets shot from the right side. I mean, it's clear as day in the Zabruder film that he gets hit from the right side. His head goes back into the left, right? Well, the autopsy photos show something completely different. This is the first autopsy photo here, which shows a shot from the back. Here's the second one that shows a shot to the back of the head. How is that possible? How does this Bruder film show a shot from the right side? His head goes back into the left, but the autopsy show, photos show a shot to the back of the head. If he was shot in the back of the head, his head would go forward. The the momentum probably, of the bullet would hit him forward. And the brain is not as very soft tissue, so it would stop. It would not stop that bullet's trajectory and would probably damage the uh, face coming out the other side. But the face is perfectly intact. Very strange. Boom. Right there. Nothing on the right side. That's dead Kennedy on the right. Nothing. He does not get shot from the right side. Exactly the opposite of what the Zapruder film shows. And if you look, they're not exactly the same people. The ear is different. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, body decays a bit, but, you know, after life is lost. But, yeah, you can't explain the morphing of an ear. That's not something that would, you know, it's not like skin or maybe even like a facial feature where you could maybe see the blood loss would affect it. An ear is cartilage. How does that change when somebody dies? And all they did was tape up the back of his head. And I think they wrapped it in a blanket and wrapped it in a towel or something. The president. Wow. The president of the United States gets the back of his head taped up and wrapped in a towel. And by the way, if if that's really the picture of him, that would have been good enough to have an open casket. Right? Yeah. I mean, you can you can fix this back here, right? I mean, they have to fix things, those corner, uh, guys that work in mortuaries. Right. So, well, and, and let's bring that up, too, because there was something about the coroner, the Dallas coroner, and a... a a fight between them and the secret service about who was going to get the body. I would imagine, you know, given what I've learned about conspiracies that they paid the coroner off. Those guys are usually the sketchiest, but yeah. What, how do you explain that? What are your thoughts on that whole little scuffle there? Well, I was at the hospital, Parkland hospital and the coroner, of course he was right. He had the jurisdiction because he's a coroner to do the autopsy and the secret service said, no, we're taking him to DC. And he was kind of an honorary guy and he got the Dallas police to support him and fight started, almost got physical. And finally the secret service more or less just pulled rank and said, no, we're taking him. Screw you. You do anything. We'll have you arrested. And so, but you know, the, the Dallas coroner, you know, didn't know what's, what was going on, but it looks like he later did get paid off or something because he covered up for Oswald and Jack Ruby and and J.D. Tippett. <laughs> right. Wow. Right. 
Wow. Well, and then his brain matter was stolen from the National Archives as well. Yep. You know, no one knows who did that. It was just gone one day. And DNA, you know, evidence and this sort of processing, that wasn't available at that time, but it would have been now, which is why, yeah, that's very interesting. Maybe somebody figured out, hey, we need to get rid of any existing tissue that could be processed for DNA. I think it was because they somebody could have taken the brain and done uh, bullet trajectories ah. through it and discovered that it probably wasn't a Carcano at all. It was another kind of gauge of, of gun. Right. Because I swear, if you got shot here with a thirty caliber Carcano, it's coming out here. I mean, it's not going to. There's nothing that's going to stop that thing. Right. I mean, it's just brutal. That's the other thing. Why doesn't the top of Kennedy's head fly off? When he gets hit, if you look underneath the smoke and mist, um, his head's still intact. You got hit here from 40 feet away by a high-powered rifle. Your entire head is coming off. Anybody who's ever, you talk to any sniper. In fact, if there's a sniper out there, watch my film and and, and contact me. Again, I'd like to get your testimony. I won't take your name. I just want to get your testimony. So I want to get a bunch of snipers to uh, give me testimony as to what would they think would have happened in that situation. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm right. Well, and, and let's talk about the, you know, thoughts about the bullet and the theories about the bullet. Jay, can you tell us how old were you when this took place? I imagine you were alive for this, but maybe you weren't that old, but how old was were nine. you? Nine. Okay. So what was that time period like the 10 or so 15 years after JFK? I mean, did you hear like people around you talking about like old magic bullet, this and things like that? Uh, Well, the first five years, everybody was just confused. And then finally some conspiracy theorists started writing books about things around 1968 and they got really consumed by everybody uh, including me and i was just like what 14 or something when those books came out but i was reading them i was completely fascinated by it and yeah it was a big subject i mean you know it was like the number one subject of of america and you know finally did die down after a while but in 1974 when Geraldo put up the zabruder film for the first time oh my god the whole place went crazy uh, it was like nothing that we've been told. We have been told they got shot in the back of the head. And here's this Zabruder film. And clearly there is no shot to the back of the head. It's to the side what's going on here. And and then kind of what I call the CIA obfuscation squad kind of came in and moved evidence around and started changing things and fed conspiracy theories in that weren't real and just threw everything into confusion until I think everybody just helplessly fell, said, forget it, I'll go on to something else, right? After a while, you just get fed up with it. But I mean, there's so many books. I have probably 40 or 50 books on the JFK assassination, and I read them all, and almost all of them are wrong, and it's incredible. It's an incredible industry. Well, and even Geraldo Rivera, I've read some things that he might have not actually had the name Geraldo Rivera. That's a fake name. And there's some other okay. sketchy things about him. So maybe he was a part of it. I mean, as you pointed out, I heard, a, name, I heard his name is Jerry Riverstein. Yeah. Something like that. Right. And I wonder if it was again, like a reboot of the mass trauma that everybody had just gone through in the sixties. They're like, Hey, let's drive that up again. Mass trauma. 
Here we go. And this time, confusion will spread the fog even thicker, and people will have no clue that this was all so a low, but low res quality. The Bruderfeld that looks like an impressionistic painting. You can't really even see what you're looking at, and we'll show that to America, and America will completely freak out one more time. Eleven years after the first time, right. like you know, some kind of cycle, and uh, yeah, and they keep doing it, and that's what they're doing all the time. Now they just up the ante and just giving us trauma 24-7. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, with 9-11, the wars and everything that's gone on since with the mainstream media and now social media, yeah, it's reached a fever pitch, certainly. So it is a relief that good people like you two are out there fighting this fight to get the truth out there. And uh, yeah, as we wrap up, I mean, is there anything that we've left on the table that you guys want to mention? Anything that we can't leave out? I do want to have you guys over to the supporter side of the show for a question for those who support the show. Maybe those who see the film can then go and, and sign up for the Patreon to hear some of your guys' thoughts. Because I have seen and I have a few questions that I don't want to reveal for the public audience. You got to pay to play, so to speak. So go and rent the film, buy the film, check it out. It's available, as Jay said, on 21 different platforms. But Jay, Ryder, anything that you guys feel like we, we left off the table? Anything you want to mention before we start to wind down here? Just that uh, I think that I think that you'll begin to understand our reality and what's really behind events a lot more if you watch the film. Yeah, and it's a very healing film. Sorry, I keep forgetting that I'm muted. I'm not used to uh, Zoom anymore. But uh, it's a very healing film, healing from that trauma that we were just talking about that was inflicted almost uh, 60 years ago. The movie JFKX is unlike anything that you have ever heard before and explains everything that we've said here today without giving away the film, but in much greater detail, right? I mean, what's really in those JFK files? that are so important that they can't be released. And I think that what is in those files is in our film. So please go and support independent filmmakers because this is the future. Everything else is going to collapse. So it's a very affordable price on Amazon Prime at $1.99 to rent and $4.99 to buy it. And you're going to want to buy it, not because we're wanting to get rich or make a lot of money just because you're going to want to watch it several times over and over again and it has the highest quality of oh, there's a brutal film ever made in it and i think so much mark for having us on brother really appreciate you yeah and I just want to add one last thing. The internet, you can probably watch it internationally here really soon. It'll be up free on YouTube and Tubi. It's free with ads. So excellent. Well, hey, we're we're top ranked in Scandinavia, so people over there in Sweden and Norway, check us out, check the film out. It should be available for you guys soon. But uh, yeah, Ryder, Jay, this has really been fantastic. I mean, there's so many details that you guys put into this film. It's not just the Zapruder film. There's tons of other footage from that event, you know, from Lee Harvey Oswald to when he gets shot by Jack Ruby. I mean, you guys really break it all down. So really grateful you joined me here to talk about it and yeah this isn't over yet folks so go and watch the film buy it as Ryder pointed out so you can keep it just in case it ever does get taken down you'll have it downloaded on your hard drive and uh, yeah support us on this show so you could hear my final questions for Ryder and Jay I'll see you guys in the uh, Patreon or Substack 
In these wild and turbulent times, it takes a village to stay attuned to what matters most. But with social media locked down, the drone of hive minds buzzing in your ear, and the world around us rapidly degrading into madness, it can be harder than ever to find your tribe. Not anymore with Gulag America. You can attract like minds and build your tribe. You simply wear their premium cotton line of t-shirts to promote your values while looking great. Patriotism, liberty, and autonomy. These aren't merely words. These represent a way of life, and so does Gulag America. A way that's not afraid to stand up for what's right and what matters most. If you stand for freedom, stand boldly in your favorite selection of Gulag America's high-quality clothing. Let's get out of this gulag together. Use the promo code CRAZY10 to save 10% off at checkout. Go to gulagamerica.com to see their entire line of freedom-oriented clothing. Ladies and gentlemen, what a great conversation and what great timing for their film, given that this year will be the 60th anniversary of JFK and that whole assassination, the event. But of course, if you are listening to this on the free section, you don't know what we talked about in the supporters only section so i have to be very careful what i say right now because we do want you to watch the film i do not want to piss off Ryder or jay they're great guys and they're kind enough to join me on this show and they're also kind enough to reveal a little bit more than they usually do in the supporters only section of the show so please do go and check out the film you can rent it for just a dollar on Amazon Prime and according to Jay, 21 other platforms. So if you don't like Amazon, which I don't blame you, there are other options. Uh, The links will be in the description of this episode to make it really easy for you to find the film. I was shocked, honestly shocked. And I tried to call Sam right away. I think he's seen the film already and I don't know what his thoughts are on it, but I'm surprised that he isn't shocked as well. Uh, if he isn't, um, and Mike Romanelli, who I called and I talked to him about it. Shout out to Mike and the Free Thinker Society podcast. I'm going to be uploading all of my appearances on the Free Thinker Society podcast to the Patreon feed, but you can listen to all those for free um, on the Free Thinker Society feed if that's still around. If not, I have copies of the episodes I was a part of. And I'm going to be uploading those to the Patreon just in case those ever do disappear. Um, So yeah, shout out to Mike. Shout out to Ryder and Jay. I'd love to have Jay back on in the future. He has a really incredible book that I've talked about before called The Cross of Hende, which I'm going to brush up on and take some notes and prepare to have him back on the show to talk just about that. Uh, Shout out to Ryder for being so kind to introduce me to Jay. 
Uh, I think it's really cool, everything they, they did with this film. And yeah, I mean, I can't say it enough how shocked I was about their conclusion. But if you uh, know Jay's work with the moon landing, you might not be shocked to hear what uh, they've come up with with this one. And I do think this is compelling enough to be true. I'll just say that. So yeah, that's about it, folks. Uh, shout out to all the supporters who know what's good, whether they bought the film or not. Although I do recommend you guys do that as well. Uh, I have some new supporters that I want to give a shout out to. Shout out, first of all, first and foremost, to Matt F., who I met at the Broadbook show that Sam went and performed uh, this past month in Connecticut. I met him there. We went on a tour in New Haven yesterday. He took Tara and I out to eat at a bar, which was very kind of him. Uh, took care of everything. And that bar that we went to, I don't. they didn't know this, but I told Matt and Tara this when we were there. That bar was where George W. Bush did coke back when he was a Yale student. I found that out just by being an uh, observant and maybe even nosy uh, <laughs> uh, bar attendee. I used to go to that bar for whatever reason. I was gravitated. I gravitated towards that one, and it happened to be the one that George W. Bush used to hang out at. It had a different name back then. It was called Rudy's, but you could tell that this bar is the original Rudy's because there's an R uh, on the floor as you walk in, engraved in the cement same as the logo for rudy so anyways little new haven lore for you guys there but shout out to matt f who's such a cool guy he sent us a 25 dollar donation via venmo at mystic mark if you guys want to match his donation or uh you know send us more it's up to you at mystic mark on venmo at mystic mark on paypal cash symbol mark steves jr that's steves with three e's it's not stevie's it's not steve it's steves <laughs> like sleeves with three e's uh mark steves jr on cash app and uh yeah matt's a hell of a guy he even signed up for the patreon so and he showed tara and i this really cool rock structure i think i talked about this yesterday because i recorded uh, the interview with Ian Ferguson, and I also recorded the interview with Jay and Ryder on the same day. So yesterday I recorded the intros and outros for that episode. Today I'm doing this episode. So I may be repeating myself, but either way, shout out to Matt. Shout out to Brian A. who signed up on the Substack, which is awesome. We get a bunch of people who sign up on the Substack for free, but that doesn't really warrant a shout out so but thank you for following me on substack there are a few things that you can access for free on the substack so even if you can't support the show uh go in and do the substack and if you are strapped for cash and you really want to check out the bonus content especially the new haven stuff uh just reach out to me via email and i can give you a few months uh, free trial to my substack and maybe by the end of the free trial, you'll have enough money to sign up. So don't be shy. I try to be generous. I do give this show out for free. So if you find value 
in this show, send some value back my way with a one-time donation or by signing up to support the show. We're trying to get to a 250 patron goal so we can uh, afford to upgrade some equipment. Still doing that. Uh, believe it or not, I still need to get some better cameras. Although the cameras I have now, they're cheap, they're fine, but I'd like to get one that I can take with me for in-person interviews. That's the goal. Once I hit 250 patrons, I'm going to do one in-person interview a month, and we're going to travel around and find some cool people to do this with. I've done it once in the past with Mike Wan. You can listen to that episode maybe on this feed, but also on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed that I created with Mike Wan's help. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, so that's that's it. And Substack, maybe we'll, we'll count that towards the 250 people so if you prefer substack that's fine but yeah we're still still need about 80 percent of our goal so got 80 percent of the way to go so sign up now we get tens of thousands of people that listen to this show so 250 is really such a small percentage i know there's plenty of people out there who are listening right now they want this show. They want to listen to the show more. Well, guess what? If you're listening to this episode, that means there's a newer episode that's already available for supporters only. And from here on out, that's the way I'm going to do it. So if you're listening to this episode on the free side, guess what? There's a brand new episode out now that you can listen to if you support the show. So go and do that. And uh, also check out the Hit Kit the number one way to get lit and our most valued supporter here on the podcast. Garrett is creating some really cool stuff. He just created this new uh, hit kit that's like a rolling station and has an ashtray in it. it, has like a little herb catcher in it for when you're rolling. This thing's incredible. I can't wait to see if he sends me one because it looks awesome and I hope you buy one. You can get 15% off at checkout if you use the promo code crazy and yeah help garrett out he's a small business uh, doing his thing out here in america american made products for american made podcast listeners so check that out and uh speaking of america we've got another sponsor gulag america which you will be hearing about uh, or you've already heard about depending on how i edit this episode so shout out to them uh i think we're gonna do uh one more run of that ad or maybe this is the last one hopefully not hopefully we pick them back up as a sponsor but if you use the promo code crazy 10 at checkout you can save on gulag america's high quality clothing that really makes a statement especially in these uh unruly times uncertain times rather you want to make a statement and attract like minds. So wear it proudly. Your values, your principles, wear them proudly on your chest with Gulag America. Uh, yeah. So check that out, gulagamerica.com. And that's about it for us, folks. Thank you for tuning in to this awesome episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Sure to be a favorite, especially if you've watched the film. Uh, maybe a little disappointing if you don't if you don't support the show and you don't watch the film you're probably like well you know what what was the point of me listening to this 
Um, well, guess what? You're, <laughs> you learned some things, hopefully, about JFK. I didn't know about J.D. Tibbet until today, watching the film. And we've talked about a couple things that, yeah, are definitely new to me, worthwhile, but I really, 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 really recommend you um, watch the film and support the show. And if, you, like I said, if you can't afford to do that and you want to hear what happened, just reach out to me and I will set you up with a free trial on Substack and you'll be able to hear the extra 20 minutes of this episode where we basically talk about what happened uh, or what Ryder and Jay are proposing actually happened to JFK. And it is astounding. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. And uh, until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Terrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw a bomb from guns. Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you could stick with your old ways. But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. Keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for a military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, I ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family did some crazy Baby, baby, baby My family thinks I'm crazy Maybe, maybe, maybe Just maybe Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Come on, he's getting that feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm on American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You can tell me that the president's an atheist It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy
learned is you can't rule anything out. So, you know, maybe I am.